This podcast was produced by New Leonard Media, newleonard.com, for all things audio, video, and podcast related. The Pursuit of Podcast, a purely guest-centric show focusing on people and organizations that advance positive change. Positivity can be anywhere, and in a time of vast discord, the pursuit of is finding those who champion its causes loudest. Join us as we sit and learn about the pursuits of local leaders in their community. Let's go. Hello, good people, and welcome to the Pursuit of Podcast, where it's truly not us, it's you. I'm Ryan Buck, artist development, New Leonard Media, and with me is the boss, Mark Wilson, president, New Leonard Media. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. You realize we've been doing this three years together. Three? Here. That's enough about us. Chat, chat, chat. Look at us. More importantly, our guest today is Amy Shamro, book awards director, director of the Traverse City Children's Book Festival, and creator and host of the Behind the Cover of Jenkins Group podcast. Sounds really impressive when you say it all at once. It was fun to say. I hope it was fun to hear. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, it's really nice to have somebody who is a podcaster. You feel comfortable. I can tell you're ready to go. And this is a question that I've started asking recently, and I just kind of like this. We talked about this long title. So you're at a social event. Or can we say party? Party. Yeah. Party. Because we're going to parties now, right? Right. So envision yourself however you want to in this party, at this party. But- at parties, as we're wont to do, somebody says, hey, what do you do? What's the party answer to that? It's actually funny because it really depends on the party and who's hosting it. So, <laughs> um, so a lot of times I say I work in publishing if I'm being very vague. Uh-huh. If it's a group of people I know and maybe I'm meeting somebody new at it, then I might say, well, I run five international book awards. Um, and then depending on where I'm at locally, I also am a city commissioner. So sometimes that's what I lead with because that's how a lot of people know me from the community. Okay. Wow. All right. So usually it's a tougher follow-up question because I'm saying, well, now you've gotten the semi-circle of people around you. What's the expanded version? So let's say I'm in publishing mm-hmm. and there's a semi-circle. What happens next? And what are the questions you typically get? Sure. Well, and definitely with the book awards being what I do in publishing, that's usually sparks a lot of interest from anybody, whether they've worked in New York publishing or just like to read books. It's a very unique position. And I've been at it for about 16 years. And I think I've only met maybe one other person who's worked in book awards as well. So that aren't ours. Wow. So it's, it's very unique. It can be difficult to explain. I have one friend who I've been friends with since before I worked at Jenkins Group. And Every once in a while, he'll be like, now, what do you do again? <laughs> so it's not even just at parties. I get that from people who know me. So it's this amorphous concept of what do you do? But is that, do you like that question? Is it more fun to answer that way? It is. And I think it's just that kind of thing of, we all like to think, or I shouldn't say we all. I think most people want to hopefully have something unique about them that sets you apart from other people. And it doesn't have to be bright, shining lights name on marquee, but right. it is kind of fun to just not be like, well, I work at this store and I, you know, or I work at this office job and I'm doing this thing and yeah. that's all I do. It's kind of fun to have something that's a little unique that not a lot of other people do. And so you get to have some good conversation about it. Sure. So yeah, it's a good way to do it. Well, one thing this podcast does and honestly hopes to do is encourage listeners to exclaim, I didn't know that, or I didn't know this was going on in Traverse City. So publishing company in Traverse City. That's actually, I guess, a very, very often <laughs> is 
So you run five International Book Awards in Traverse City, Michigan. Right. And that gets credited to the owner of our company, Jerry Jenkins. He was walking through Horizon Books downtown for Traverse City people in the know, one of our local independent bookstores. And see, I think the awards have been around for about 32 years now. So he, we were running a magazine, not we, I wasn't at the company at the time, but Mm -hmm. they had a magazine at the time called Small Press, and it eventually became Independent Publisher. So Jerry thought, well, there's all these books that are now being independently published or small presses, and they're not going to ever win the awards like HarperCollins or some of the bigger names that you probably see on the New York Times bestseller list. Those are the people who are going to win the National Book Award. Those are the companies that are going to be getting all the accolades. How do we recognize some of these independent books and these people who are doing it a little differently? And so the Independent Publisher Book Awards, named after the magazine at the time, were conceived and started. And so I think that was in 1996. Right. And, and as, he started the Jenkins Group, uh, like the earliest version of it in the late 80s, yes, right? Yes, he did. And in, that's custom book publishing. So that's that wow. kind of independent. He works with a lot of, and always has worked with a lot of people in the businesses. There were certain ideas where the book helps to convey their ideas or market what they're doing as part of their whatever they're working on. So maybe it's a investment ideas, maybe it's a memoir about the founder of a company that helps people understand the company better. So there's a lot of things that Jerry's done really well since back in the late 80s that he continues to do today. And it's a really great way to connect. Wow. And that comes up a lot too, these mighty little things happening in Traverse City and being underestimated. And in this landscape of independent publishing, although it sounds like it's easier to traverse these waters than the majors, it's still got to be a crowded marketplace, correct? Traverse. <laughs> it's, uh, it can be crowded. I think it's interesting, though, because by the time, I mean, I've been at the company 16 years now. And I feel like even by the time I started versus when Jerry started back in the late 80s or even in 96 when the awards started, so about 10 years before I started at the company, I think what people are doing with independent publishing and small publishing has just changed so dramatically from those early days. You've got more companies that help people publish. So, you know, it used to be you'd go to maybe your local print shop and they'd run off 100 copies or 500 copies for you of something. Now you have Amazon has KDP. So Amazon got into that pretty early on of self-publishing. And there's Book Baby and there's a bunch of these other companies that essentially do it all online. So you can upload your manuscript and you can pay to have somebody edit it or not. You know, some of them are as basic as you pick from a couple of your cover designs and you use one of those, or you can pay a little bit more and you hire an artist or maybe they have a few extra options available and you're going to do something more basic. And then there's hybrid publishing now, which is where maybe you're going to say, instead of paying $20,000 to do your book start to finish with editing and everything, you pick and choose kind of a package. And so the company is going to – likes your manuscript enough, they're going to give you a little money towards that and maybe like offer the editorial services and the cover design. But you're going to do a little bit of the marketing and pay for some of the printing costs. And so there's all these different variations out there. And I think we've got more smaller presses now too, which yeah. is they produce in-house, but they're only producing maybe 20 titles a year. Wow. Well, we're definitely going to get more into that. <laughs> sure. But I want I'm actually going to step back and say books. Mm. What's going on with books? Like, they're here. They're not here. They're in vogue again. Are hipsters bringing books back? Are we going to be start carrying them again? I'd love to hear from you. What's happening with books? Well, since I feel like since I've started, and by the way, before I was at Jenkins Group, I also was a bookseller before. So I've spent about 20 years in books. And I feel like for a majority of that time, all I've heard is, the printed book is going to die as soon as the first Kindle came out. This is what everybody's mm-hmm. going to do. And what we've found over, and we being everybody working in publishing or anybody who follows it is, 
the market share has never been more at its peak than 30% of titles sold in a year. The print never went away. So, you know, you might not see people walking around with books anymore. And I know people who do this. They say, well, I just download some of the books I'm reading for when I travel. Or I have one that I put on my Kindle that I read when I'm at the coffee shop. But I have a stack of books by my bed when I go home. So I think the readers read in different ways. There's a lot of misunderstanding, I think, that because somebody reads an ebook, that's all they read. And right. I think that most people kind of read in, again, a hybrid way. So they read the printed and the online. There's very few in studies. When I looked last time, I wrote an article about it about three or four years ago, right. like 10% of people exclusively do digital. Sure. I saw a meme once in favor of vinyl records, which I am as well, mm-hmm. and a good collection And it said, because nobody wants to look at your MP3 collection. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so in that same sense, I have a bookshelf in my living room that, for me, is just proof that Mark Wilson has read a book. (laughs) But but for the most part, (laughs) for the most part, I think it says a lot about me when you see what's on the shelf and when I'm inviting to somebody else's home and they have a small library up and you can just look like I look for books that maybe I I read as well and it sparks conversation or you just get a good idea of who they are as a cultured human being based on their display yeah and that's the irony like once the kindle came up we all said all right we're going to trade our libraries just for one spot with the kindle and right people are going to scroll through the ebooks but film director john waters also had something wonderful i was going to bring this up but i wasn't sure if i could swear (laughs) you know this oh i love i i'm i adore you and and so yeah and it, it is a good point about it is a reflection of you but is this a better time now because there's more access and forget about audiobooks? And that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. But is this a better time because there is just more and you can read the way you want to read? I think that is it. I think it allows if anybody wants to. And here's how I would actually like phrase that because you opened it up so much broader. If you want to consume a book in any way, shape or form, there are so many options to do it now. And I think where the conversation has moved, I think there's still a little bit of room for improvement in some circles, is when the fear of the ebooks taking over everything, you had some people who got very elitist and said, no, it must be a printed book, da, 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 da. Then as audiobooks have risen and their share of the market has really increased, a lot of people said, well, you listen to it. It doesn't count as reading the book. And that's not – I personally have never bought that because yeah. for various reasons, whether you have issues with reading or you're busy and you just want to get that story in somehow, you have to be flexible. And then we also have – there's a debate about – There's, I shouldn't say debate. There's a little bit of elitism also towards comics or manga or anything that has yeah, the visual graphic novels. For kids specifically yeah. too. Yeah. So – If you – consume an ebook. do you tell somebody you read that book or do you say I listen? Oh no I would say you read. Yeah. An audiobook you mean? Yeah an audiobook. Sorry yeah yeah. I would say I listened. Yeah I don't and so (laughs) we're a house divided here where my wife she doesn't have to prove anything to anybody like I do And, (laughs) and so she makes great use of our fantastic library here the Travers Area District Library is a wonderful place and she can walk you up and down those aisles and be like here's mm-hmm. books i've read if you're really that interested versus mark who will listen to an audiobook and if it's really good i'll go buy the book mm-hmm. interesting and oh, then yeah. it okay, then it makes go. then it makes the shelf so it makes ah. that makes a case so kind of back oh. back to like the music com- comparison so if i'm consuming music 
for free or it's like, you mm-hmm. know, I'm on Pandora and it's streaming, but I really like you, then mm-hmm. like I feel like I should buy your album and I should have it in my collection. And then that's interesting. If yeah. I really, really love you, then I'm gonna buy it on vinyl so that it's like really in the collection and yeah. I'm gonna go to the show, I'm gonna buy the shirt, I'm gonna wear the shirt. No, I think that's really excellent. And I like that idea that you listen to it and then you would buy the book because I think subconsciously a lot of people might, people who really love books would do that. And to your point too, I think I would say if I was recommending a book to somebody, you know, what are you reading right now? Or what have you read anything good lately? And I, it was an audiobook. I'd say, well, I listened to. But if somebody's talking about a book and I listened to it and just thinking about naturally in conversation, I don't think I always underline, oh, I listened to that because you're just talking about the story. Again, it's about the story. Now, sometimes where I think audiobooks, and this is what I like about them, is sometimes audiobooks, the narrator can enhance the story so much. There's been books that I don't think I would have liked the book, but the narrator, let me phrase that. If I get through it, I usually liked the book well enough, but there's times where the narrator enhances the story so much that it makes it better. And I've heard people who couldn't get into the book in the printed version, but Mm -hmm. the E version of it was mm-hmm. that got him through it. What about the movie adaptation? <laughs> not Wait, not the it, movie titled true, adaptation true. with Nicolas Cage. Great movie. Oh, if we got but, into but, book versus movie, we could be here all day. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, thinking about plans because that was a movie that was about plans going awry or not coming to fruition. You graduated from MSU, which at the time of this recording, unfortunately, we're days away from a terrible tragedy that happened. But when you look at your plan. Mm-hmm. What was the dream, what was the plan, and what was the reality? There's a long and winding road. Because you it's... talked about this has been a pursuit of yours for a long time, and I see the look on your face when you talk about books, and I have that same passion. So yeah, what was your trajectory? Well, I've always loved reading. I've always read. My grandmother was a huge reader, and always books were a very common gift from my family. We did the reading stories together before I could even read with my brother and I. My mom would read to us. So I've always loved books, but it was never really a thought to work in publishing. So what I went to Michigan State for was international relations. And I have a degree in international relations with a specialization in Russia and Eastern Europe. And I also have a history degree in there, too. Um, So, But what happened with that was when I was thinking about going to college, a couple of things, not to date myself, but it was early in the century, let's say. Um, (laughs) That was broad. But it's all sparks from reading. But I was between um, studying archaeology and studying international relations and kind of weighing so the... So you're going to be Indiana Jones or James Bond, the ver- the, your version of those? Pretty much. And so <laughs> looking at you know what I thought the field was like, and I say the early part of the century because the internet wasn't as robust. There wasn't as much information you could go look up. And I made the call to go to Michigan State. I really love the campus. I really love the school. I like that they have the Spartans will now. That wasn't what we used then. But um, I feel like that's a very much the feel on campus is it's a great community. And there's so much because it's such a huge campus. It's There's so much you can dig into in any degree and any, anything you pursue there. And so I got into the James Madison Residential School and studied international relations. And my intent was to work in the diplomatic corps. And so I went through three years of undergrad work and studied Russian. Took a little Italian in there, but it was too hard to take the languages back to back. <laughs> was that just because it was a sexy language and that <laughs> helps in international relations to just downshift into Italian? It was actually because my family is Italian. Anybody who looks at me would be like, eh, Why okay. didn't you? <laughs> no, no, I think I'm oh. very pale skinned. And so I don't oh, think anybody would you. guess that about me. But yeah, and so I was just like, oh, I've got a little bit of room in my schedule. And again, this is such a huge campus. Where will I ever have a chance to find an instructor in a language and take a course on it? 
So it was, there was a lot of components like that that you could add that I really felt enriched my education there. And so about three years in, I took the preliminary exam for the foreign service exam. And it kept telling me that the only job I could get was a basically desk work in D.C. And I at that point had studied, and I will never claim to have had fluency, five different languages, Romance languages and Slavic languages. And I just could not figure out why this was telling me I could not have a foreign assignment. This, this was just a test and This that's was a it? prelim test. And the door is closed at that point? Well, I mean, I could else? have done it and worked in D.C., but then I dug into it a little bit more. And what it turned out was I'm a type 1 diabetic. And at the time, and this has changed, so I don't want anybody to listen to this and think that they're limited. Uh-huh. At the time, because they could, you don't get guaranteed that, let's say, because you speak Russian, you're going to be in Eastern Europe somewhere or in Russia. You can be assigned anywhere as part of the diplomatic corps. And so they said, because we can't guarantee you're going to be in a place that has ready access all the time to insulin, we can never give you a foreign assignment. And that has changed. Now they let you load up a year in advance. And I've mm-hmm. talked to diabetics who wow. have worked abroad. They weren't allowed to be in the Peace Corps for the same reason. And so that I That was had, a stopping point for you. It was a pivot, a I guess I would say. Um, I finished my degree. I still very much am glad I took that. I've learned so much. It changed my perspective on the world. It enriched my life in so many ways. But at that point, I could have probably gone and worked. You know, I know people who went and worked doing international contract things like kind of paperwork stuff at major companies, things like that. But that's not what I wanted to do. And so I kind of pivoted. I'd taken a bunch of history classes at that point. And so I started taking more history classes to get that second degree. And I was actually taking some master's programs. They let me do that as part of like the undergrad senior SEM but also to start working on a master's because I knew enough people, professors and stuff at that point in the department. They knew I was serious. And then I got laid off from my job that was helping me pay my tuition. <laughs> so I had, I was kind of faced with this. I pivoted this plan to get a history degree, maybe teach at like community college with a yeah. master's. And another thing, I kind of been, rug had been pulled out from underneath me. And so I kind of needed to regroup. I didn't have money coming in. I was coming to the end of a lease and all this stuff. So I moved back home to Traverse City with... One and a half, well, kind of two degrees, no master's yet, though, and a lot of education and not with sure what to do with it. one and a half degree, only one and a half. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, it wasn't only, but I mean, I had all this education and then I was like, well, I don't know what else to do. It, it's a different time. And so I needed to, I'm honestly, I moved back home and lived with my parents is, for a Is bit. this where Horizon Books comes into play? Yes. Yeah. Pretty much the first job I got when I came back to Traverse City was really? at Horizon Books. Doing events? I started out as a bookseller and then eventually I got given the responsibilities of doing like their newsletter and helping with some of the events. So I, I, I'm likening this because I think of the path of any writer, any mm-hmm. artist, anybody. I play music. It's a grind. Mm-hmm. And you've had a grind. You, yeah. you know, I think people who want to aspire to artistic pursuits in this way, you're stopped from doing something else. You were stopped from being a spy mm-hmm. or a foreign <laughs> diplomat. And now you pivoted, as you said, into history. And so what kept you inspired during the grind? What kept you going to say, I'm going to keep doing this? And it may not be foreign service work, but what kept you going? Well, it's interesting you ask that because some of it's just survival. Again, I'm type 1 diabetic, and so we live in America. And so I always had to have jobs that had health insurance. I got in this job at Horizon, which was thankfully with books, something I'd always loved. And they had health insurance, so I was able to work there full time. But as the a couple years went on, it just got cost of living hard everywhere. And this was like over 15 years ago. And it was still expensive to be alive, basically, especially when you're paying medical expenses, too. And so I got a second job. And it just so happened, and this was back in the day when you'd find your jobs in the newspaper, 
I noticed that one of the listings had the response email. We were emailing by then, but I don't want to make it sound like this Did was you the have dark the yellow ages. Highlighter though. <laughs> I think I circled it in pen. Oh, awesome. Um, <laughs> okay, cool. Was uh, bookpublishing.com was the email. And so I thought, well, I'm curious. It's just a data entry position, but it's part time and I need a little extra money. And so I went and interviewed. I think I was hired within three days, and that was Jenkins Group. And so I was grinding along in retail, which there's a lot of aspects about retail I miss. And I'm not going to like romanticize it because I know it's hard work for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But it is, you know, you got to talk to people and especially talk to people about books. And I still like to think I'm a pretty good hand seller of books where you tell me what you like and I can find a really good what book for you. What was your passion level <laughs> at books at this point? Are you just selling books because it's something to do? I think it was more than that. I think I was lucky that I got that position. And I say lucky that there just happened to be a position open there at the time and that it was selling books. And it was something I really enjoyed because, again, talking to people about books, helping them find the right book. That was something I really loved doing. And I honestly still miss doing that sometimes. I feel like what I do now helps me to show people really good books. So at least I get to do that. It is important what you're doing. And thank you. Yeah, so I was kind of in this, like, loving books. And I even interviewed for some other jobs out of town during that period, more involved with politics and Lansing. I even got offered a couple. But at the end of the day, I thought, I just can't do this. You right. know, this isn't what I really actually want to do. I don't want to go be a lowly aide in Lansing. Like, that's not where I'll be happy. And so I ended up staying and working in retail. And then the opportunity came to have this second job at Jenkins Group. And I started out just doing data entry. There was only one book award then. It was myself and Jim Barnes working on it. And I think a little bit of having an extra staff person that was interested and just where they were as a company. It was right around then, within a year of me starting, that they opened up the next book award that they did, which was, I believe the next one was the Moonbeam Children's Book Awards. And so from there, over the years, we added four more. And I was there with Jim Barnes every step of the way. And that that allowed us to get into a couple different genres. And what it started with, backing up a little, is the Independent Publisher Book Award pretty much covers every genre. We've expanded it out since then, but we have everything from cozy mysteries to psychology and everything in between. And so there was always all these great books about all these different great things. And it got to the point where like in the children's book section, we were thinking, boy, this is really, really good for young kids, but it doesn't quite compete against this book that's kind of maybe more for a five-year-old right. and has a little bit more story going on or Boy, this interactive book is really great, but we kind of hate to give the edge to an interactive book just because interactive when this one is beautifully illustrated and has a great story. So we kind of started seeing that there were these nuances that we could really look at, and that launched the Children's Book Award. And then similarly with – we have the Axiom Business Book Awards, and the Mm -hmm. same thing. We had business and we had economics. But there's a lot of nuances in there of leadership and philanthropy and other things that are really what – a lot of business leaders are looking at. It was enough to give it its own. Yeah. So that became enough to give it its own too. And so we did that a couple times more. And so it's, I love the job and I love books. I've always have. And it was just amazing. And sometimes it's kind of like everything else, right? You're just pushing along and then all of a sudden you'll look up and you'll say, wow, this is what I'm doing. Like, this is crazy. Like, I'm young, doing it. young Amy doing would it. never have imagined this was even an option in life. Really? <laughs> like, so thinking about that, those early years with the Jenkins Group, did it feel like a startup? Did it feel like a little like you were part of something that was growing? Or you know, what did they do and what did they say to keep you engaged? I think the fact it didn't feel like a startup because the company had been there so long. And to this day, even there's a lot of longevity on our staff. And so some of the newer people had been there, I think, at that point, eight years or something. Right. And it's still that way. And 
So I think it felt very organic as we added these awards because it was we went from having the one, basically, and we were managing another book award for someone else, but we, we weren't running it. We weren't judging it. And it just felt very organic because we'd add, sure, children's books. Yeah, we really have trouble judging those categories and keeping it down to those two. That makes total sense. Right. So we got this opportunity then to honor more books. And so that seemed really natural. And similarly, when we moved into the business books, same thing of, yeah, this this makes sense. This is something else that's got a lot of nuance to it that we're not really able to explore in 80 categories without right. making it a gigantic, even like, you know, we'd have 200 categories probably if we added it all to the Ippies. Interesting. Well, going back to Jenkins Group, the, the core of what Jenkins Group does, there are a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Publishing, ghostwriting, marketing, audiobooks. Mm-hmm. We talked about that. There's so many people involved in making something like this happen. What's something that's kind of surprising about the business? Well, I think, first of all, that it exists with all the levels that it has here in Driver City. I think that surprises people. But, you know, everybody in the last few years has been talking more about hybrid and talking more about balancing working from home or do you have to be in office? And Jenkins has always been hybrid. And so because we've always been set up to, well, I shouldn't say always, since I've been there and before, it's been hybrid. And so that what that allowed us to do is have a team that was nimble and and set up enough that, in such a way that the publishing side, they can work with an author or a person who has a project in California and be located right here in Michigan. And our team can find ghostwriter in Georgia or a full editor in New York. Right. And so because... It's not all in-house, and there's a lot of like freelancers that are picked to fit the job versus this is who we have and this is how they do things. I think it's really allowed Jenkins Group to be a world-class – we call it custom book publishing versus self-published because – there's a bit of a price tag that comes with it because sure. it is custom. We're not going right. to sell you a package that says, well, for this much, it's going to be this. They work with our clients from step one of how they want it to be. Do you want hardcover or softcover? Do you want us to design the yeah. cover, et cetera? It's been something they've been doing for decades. And it's really interesting that we're able to do all of that here in Traverse City. And then the marketing aspect kind of comes from, you know, I often get asked, well, oh, so the marketing, is that just your book award winners? Absolutely not. It's anybody who wants help with their books our staff will help put them in book shows nationally and internationally, get press releases out, things like that. And so, again, working with authors from all over the place. these are individuals who need that help. Absolutely. And probably wouldn't have these kind of resources reach the partnerships that you have without it. Absolutely. And one thing we like to say off the bat to anybody is if you choose to publish your own book, you're basically signing up for a part-time job if you want to do anything with it. If you want to just publish a book right. and give it to your family or have it at your local bookstore because it's about your particular neighborhood and you don't care if anybody else reads it, mm-hmm. you can get away with doing that. But if you write a mystery book and you want a lot of people to see it, there's a lot that you have to do because and, – and this happens to people. We have people who come to us even from some of the bigger publishers because anymore a publisher is going to put their marketing budget behind a couple of key titles that they think are going to be the big ones sure. for this year. And so if you're not that person, even then sometimes they're struggling. This is a fascinating part about what you do. And we are definitely going to get into that. I do want to ask you a little bit about the building because you talked about hybrid work. And I think the Jenkins Group building looks really cool. The office looks really cool, like you'd expect it. But it's in the Truefit Trouser Factory building. There was a building built in the 1950s, which is a word. I want to bring trousers back. Does anybody (laughs) call their pants trousers anymore? I think that would be a maybe old person thing for me to do. 
But <laughs> is it just pants or is it a specific kind of pants? A trouser? I don't know. I what think a trousers trouser. more like yeah. a, like a what we maybe now call like do like khakis and like so I don't think you'd say it about like jeans. pleated no pleated but front I, yeah. slacks yeah. A or but yeah I, sl- I think what you anything you'd refer to as like slacks might be a trouser and maybe this could be a whole we're, we're, there either. might be people at home screaming slacks, at us right now yeah <laughs> well um, we we don't mean to be insensitive to the apparel industry and and that was really meant more to talk about the energy of a location you talked about mm-hmm. the surprise of Traverse City. And what's the the culture like? You'd think maybe it's a bunch of artists walking around and nobody's got shoes on. (laughs) What's the experience like being in the office? I think it's really funny because, again, we go to everything that people are talking about now that startups do or that businesses do. Now, we don't have ping pong tables or anything like that, but it's very casual. You know, we don't have to pay to wear jeans to work for some fund or something. It's just... We look professional. People are wearing shoes, just to clarify that. And, um, <laughs> everybody looks well put together, but there isn't a pressure to um, you know, wear a suit or anything like that every day because so much of our work is not in-house. It's very rare that a client comes in that's local and sits down. It, it happens a few times a year, but we're not an office that's needs everybody in-house all the time. And so yeah. there's a few people in there. People bring their dogs. We do get dog visits. Sometimes we do potlucks and things like that because we're a very small organization and it's can be a blessing and a curse to talk about. But it is like family. You know, nice. again, our newest employers are the two people I hired when I took over the department and other people in the department retired. But before that, I think with who's on staff right now, I might be the most recent hire. And that was 16 years ago. Oh, that says a lot. So, oh no, actually there's one person who came two years after me. So 14 years ago, I think is the most recent hire. So Still impressive. (laughs) Yeah. And you talked about the Independent Publisher Book Awards, the Ippies. Yes. If I may. And those have been around for a long time. And I know that deadlines are coming up. So what is your life like right now? Oh, life is pretty chaotic. It's interesting because we hit the ground running kind of at New Year's. We have a Illumination Christian Book Awards that we close out at about the beginning of the year. So we just announced that about a week ago. So we're in the middle of going through that announcement process. We're also finishing up the judging of the Axiom Business Book Awards. Those will be announced early part of March. And right on the heels of that, we will start judging the Ippy Awards. So while all that is going on, as you said, we're also marketing these deadlines as they're coming up. So the Ippy Award deadline is at the end of February, and we'll do some work with that. We wait for the books to come in, and then we start the process of, and this happens with every award, then we start the process of kind of starting going through the categories and starting the judging process. Okay, so... What's that like? Any insight? Yeah. um, (laughs) I have a picture in my mind, but it's probably not what I think. Well, yeah, I don't know. It just depends. So we work with a lot of judges, the IPI awards, because they are so large. And because we have a very talented and diverse staff, there are certain categories that we do keep in-house. We try to always go with people with knowledge of specific categories. So like we have a doctor do our medical, we have a psychologist do our psychology. We sometimes can have those judges available locally and sometimes we ship books out to different people. But as you've said, Traverse City is a surprising place. So, you know, fiction and things like that, we through this work and working in bookstores and working on, I'm also on the Friends of the Library board, (laughs) you know, we can sometimes get librarians to help us, booksellers to help us. And at the end of the day, when you're talking about fiction and things like that, yes, you want people who understand the structure of a book. And we kind of tell everybody, do you read the whole book? And in our FAQs, we say, the better the book is, the more we read. And yeah. so there are books that sometimes get eliminated yeah. pretty close off the bat because within the first two pages, there's 
major right. there's spelling errors sometimes or there's major punctuation or formatting issues or three run on sentences that are really hard <sighs> to read. And that's where it can be tough too, though, because again, the storytelling aspect, you love to see what stories people put out. But if they're not conveying it in the best way, that's not what's going to get our medals. So a little bit of insight. Yeah. If you're interested <laughs> in knowing what it takes. And a physical medal gets mailed. Yes. We do actually send out physical ting, medals. Ting. I have a really funny story about Clang, New York clang. and the Ippy Award ceremony there with that. It, it, well, and on the website, there is a merch page, just yes. FYI. So you can get Ippy merch? Yes. Uh, well, we prefer to just be bought by... Um, the winners. Well, but okay. yeah, but yeah, you can get. Oh, <laughs> I just buy it. So I, I mean, I don't know, Mark. Maybe we'll Sorry. give you, Mark. Maybe we'll give you, a, you two an honorary medal from us. <laughs> but <laughs> I thought that was really cool, and the website is great, and it has oh, a thanks, lot yeah. of fantastic information about. I think what it takes to be considered independent, what it takes, mm-hmm. the criteria, and you touched on it as did Mark is you are on the Friends of the Library organization, and how great are libraries? Oh. Like how unheralded. Our library, any library, the amazing things that happen in a library, nobody talks enough about. Absolutely. And I think that gets into where you guys were saying, how do you read? Who do you read? Our libraries have evolved to offer audiobooks through different services and ebooks and things. You you can use your library and never step foot in it right now. And it's it's amazing to do that. But at the same time. Full on media center. It's Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. a f- full on media center. And then at the same time, you can walk in and find movies and music. Free offerings yeah. too even. I mean, it's it's... And service. And I think the big thing, too, is programming, right? So especially during as COVID restrictions were lessening a little, and even as they were, our library and many opened a curbside. So you could check out a book online and they'd come and bring it out to you in a totally sterilized way so that people were still able to have those connections to that thing that they love. And, And then there's services for families and people seeking jobs. Like a library could be without books and still be essential to your community. Yeah. It's lovely. I love our library and I'm glad we have it and all good things to them as always. But you have a podcast. I do have a podcast. <laughs> and it's, it's wonderful. It's called Behind the Cover. It's very well done. Thank you. So what was the genesis of it from concept to ear? What was your pursuit and your journey? So I'm a huge podcast person as well. It kind of gets into the audiobook of it too, right? I like to listen to podcasts and audiobooks when I'm taking the time to finally clean my house or go on a road trip to drive somewhere. And so I've always been a fan. And I don't know when the genesis the idea came. Full disclosure, Mark produces our podcast. And I found when we finally got rolling a little bit ago, an email from, I think, December of 21 saying, what would you be proposing if you did a podcast for us? You know, like, how would that look? Kind of the more details of it. And so... That's when I know we started pursuing it, but I think the idea had been percolating in my mind probably for a couple of years before. But as I mentioned, at the end of 2021, going into 22, I took over the department. Jim Barnes retired. Mm-hmm. I was hiring new staff, getting used to running these awards myself with new people who had never done it before. Yeah. And so at one point when I was thinking about it, I was kind of, okay, I'm a little overwhelmed right now. I don't think I can quite do this. And then there's the idea of like selling it to people too. But I think that really at the heart of it was one of my absolute favorite parts of my job is being able to talk to our winners. So we have traditionally before COVID, we'd host a large party for the Ippy winners in New York during, it was usually in New York, one time Mm -hmm. in Chicago, during Book Expo America, which was a, used to be a huge industry event at Javits Center in New York, the casualty of COVID. So we're kind of regrouping on what happens next with that. But 
early on, I think we were the same as many other people. Well, everything's online now. Nobody needs to do anything in person again. And as the next year or two kind of dragged on, we thought we started talking about when can we start doing something in person again? So we'd always have that party. And then when we started the Children's Book Festival here in Traverse City, it was because we decided to start hosting the Celebration for the Moonbeam Awards. And rather that we had been going to different arts venues and kind of trying to see who had things going on around the time we would be doing the awards and hosting ceremonies as part of that. And then we finally said, well, Traverse City is a great city. We've got two independent bookstores on our main street. We've got great library system. National Writers brings these authors in. We've got Interlochen. So why not just host it here? And so we kind of looked at schedules and slower times of the year to make it more affordable for people to come. Mm -hmm. We landed on second Saturday in November. Okay. And with that, we hosted the ceremony here too. So not only did we get to meet these winners, we had to invite them to our town. And so all of those different situations and talking to people in those different contexts produced great conversations and almost kind of different ones because of where they were and how many people were around. Right. So we had much better conversations at the Moonbeam because it was a smaller ceremony versus the 300 people would come right. to the Ippy. And that's fascinating to me because it sounds great in conception. We have all this going for us. We're Traverse City. Look mm-hmm. at all the things we do. Let's do it here. But then all these other things have to come in, rates at hotels and mm-hmm. and all of these things. And you're settled on the second week in November, which seems to be that one weekend that is a reasonable weekend to visit. And you're able to create this community. And I think the people who are in, who are involved in literature or not, or are artists thrive on connecting with each other. And being in yes. person is a good thing. Yes, it's it's amazing. And actually, that's what I like about the Children's Book Festival aspect of it is that we have the ceremony that evening and pretty much everybody who participates in the Children's Book Festival come to the ceremony that night. But sometimes some of the authors only come to the ceremony. And it's so interesting to watch because these people have spent all day together selling books. And it's usually pretty steady, but some years the weather's super nice. You don't get as many people in or there's just lulls at different parts of the day. And they all talk to each other and they all swap books. So before they even get to the ceremony, there's this bond between them. And they've all connected and shared contacts and ideas and things like that. It's so great to watch. And that would happen at the Ippy party, too, but there was so much of it we couldn't, you know, it wasn't as easy to see how that was happening. Yeah. Um, I liken the the getting all of the authors together, no matter where, to like the salons of France back in the, yeah. you know, in the age of uh, enlightenment and things. Like there was just this exchange of ideas and people just naturally just running with all of these conversations. Yeah. And so when we get to be a little part of it during especially like the moonbeam ceremony where we're there and it's you know, maybe 50 people mm-hmm. instead of this large group, or we're just working the room in at the Ippy ceremony or party before we started the ceremony. It was just so wonderful to hear people's stories and they're excited and they're so creative and they have all these ideas. It's a little bit of a lightning in the bottle. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to capture at the podcast. Well, they went through these journeys together. Yes, too, absolutely. You know? So it, different journeys, but different, together but in a way. Yeah. Exactly. Still difficult. So the podcast. What, what's really fascinating, and the episodes I listen to are great, and you do a really good job. Oh, thank you. And what's profound is some of these authors are just regular people trying to do things, and getting these awards helped open doors for them. Yeah. That's really a profound... Can you talk to a little bit about how that's meaningful? Absolutely. I think I find it to be a very rewarding job. I'm going to say rewarding a lot because I think my work is very rewarding for me and hopefully for the people who participate in our programs as well. But it is amazing to be able to say, here's this award, we're honoring you and hearing from these people who either have worked on slaved over their manuscripts, sometimes they've slaved over their manuscripts for years and now finally got it to be what they wanted it to be. 
or had this sudden jolt of inspiration and put it down and got it out there for the people to see. And now they're being recognized for it. And so that's where we've always tried as a company, as our organization, to help our authors that win in any way we can. And it's varying degrees. We always put out press releases. We always do some profiling for them on different articles or things like that, wherever we can. And I see the podcast as, and this is kind of, I think, what ultimately sold it is, we're capturing these great conversations we have. We're doing these profiles on these authors that we get these connections through just awarding them for their books. Mm -hmm. But then we get to give them this way to profile themselves more too. Yeah, and and I love the idea, the Reshma Sopre yeah. uh, episode. She's the author of In the Indian Night Sky. Mm-hmm. The award gave her the confidence and was a little bit of a catalyst to change her idea on how she even presented the book and create, it led to that puppet show mm-hmm. that was done here and giving them confidence. And you would think an author has enough confidence. They wrote a book, but yeah. a lot of them don't. So these awards help give them legitimacy. Absolutely. And I think sometimes it's that difference between you had the confidence to print it and put it out there. And what I hope and sometimes see, some people just have confidence in spades and that's fine. But what I hope for some of the authors that are passionate about their stories, but struggle with what to do next, like we said, it's kind of like a part-time job, that it gives them the confidence to go out and whether it's do a puppet show or even just feel more confident going out and doing book signings and things like that. Now you've got the seal on your book that's saying like, we're approved by the case of the Ippies and honestly, our offshoots, an organization that's been doing this for almost 30 years. Right. This is legit. And now I can go forward with that confidence behind me of saying, we have this validation of what I've done or we've done, and you know, depending on who, how many people have worked on it. And kind of go forth with that. Sure. You've traveled extensively. And do you think about, you're trying to help celebrate these authors here. What about all the authors around the world who just don't get their chance to shine? Does that stress you out? No. Well, it doesn't stress me out. I think it's a lot of opportunity because our awards are international, except for one category in the Moonbeam Awards, which we do have a Spanish language category in that award. Right. They are limited to English books, or at least bilingually printed. There has to be English so that our judges can read it. And so we have, in the Ippy Awards, one of the things that we expanded out to just before I started working for the Jenkins Group was regions. And we've added two regions of the world since then. So at the time, they were getting so much from, obviously, different parts of the United States, and then also Canada, that we were kind of recognizing, wow, this is a pretty good book, let's say a fiction novel. I feel like I'm down in Atlanta. This is so well written and it's capturing this essence. It's not better than these like three or four other books in this category. But man, just how they they wrote this great story and it really captures the essence of this place. Mm -hmm. So we created a fiction and nonfiction for the region. This also goes to coffee table books and things. This is really amazing. It's super niche about this neighborhood in Philadelphia or something. Right. And it can't beat this book that came from the Met in a coffee table, but it's really nice. And so we've created this fiction and nonfiction for these different regions of the world. And over the years, we added Europe. We kind of did a little bit more with Australia because we had a lot of Australians who enter as well. So in my dream world, it's kind of a joke. Everybody's like, oh, Amy just wants a free trip to Australia, which I <laughs> kind of do. But I also have these connections to these different places. I'd love for us to be able to one day go to Australia. In my mind, in the back of my mind, I almost hope that Jerry and Jim are listening, but maybe not <laughs> listening. I'd love to get us to Australia for our 30th anniversary and figure out if we can do something there 
to have previous winners come celebrate because we have a lot in Australia. We have a lot in Canada. We have a fair amount in the UK. And then we have some from random parts and so parts of the world too that kind of fall in these bigger regions. And so we get to connect with them by sometimes, and actually that wasn't one of the advantages of having the IPI award ceremony in New York is it is such a central location for airports that a lot of people could come from around the world because it was a much easier flight than getting to Traverse City, Michigan, for example, sure. which is, I love this place. So as we're, lo- and actually I'll say, as we're looking to where we might move the awards to now that Book Expo doesn't exist, we're having major conversations about maybe keeping it in Michigan and maybe doing like Detroit, another central airport, major hub right? in our own state. We could show off a little bit yeah. too, but Siding you know, city. yeah. So that's part of what, as we think of next steps, we're always thinking of how are we remaining accessible to, right. to be able to meet these people. In doing the podcast, have you been surprised by anything along the way? Have some of these results or have some of the responses to your questions from these authors been surprising? Have they been gratifying? Oh, they're definitely gratifying. So far, a lot of the people we've interviewed, I've talked to at different points. So I think I kind of know the yeah. the overall story. There's little bits and pieces that are always enlightening. When you hear a little bit more, when I was doing the first interview with Lisa Tenner, finding out that she had connected offline after our online ceremony with the winners of, I think it was the Living Now Awards, we do Zooms for all the awards, but we have, we're trying to get to at least having a couple in person again. Right. Um, but she connected with this author offline, and they did a session together, and she was inspired to do something on her new book because of it. It's gratifying to hear that continuation of the story. Another one, it's coming out soon, was Andrew Powancher did this book called The Jewish Life of Alexander Hamilton. And it was fascinating to hear him that he was in the process of researching the book And he talks in the interview about going to one of the previews of Hamilton before it actually premiered officially on Broadway. And then Hamilton blow up kind of internationally as this person as he's been working on this work that involves him. And so that was really interesting to hear because I think now when anybody sees a book on Hamilton, they're like, (laughs) well, of course you're writing about it. And, you know, I I think most people- pops in your mind and there you go. And I think people, you know, of course, like I appreciate they're adding the historical context. But he's a professor in academia. And so if people don't know about academia, they might not realize that for something to actually be published, it's probably been years of research. Sure. And that's where he was. He was in the middle of starting this kind of, he found some documentation that sent him down this rabbit hole of the possibility that Alexander Hamilton was Jewish. And in the middle of doing it, this musical that changed the world really (laughs) was just starting. Fascinating. Well, I guess the world of literature can move quickly as well in in, in an odd way. Timing can hopefully be everything. But you've done writing in your past. You've done some editing, copywriting, things like that, correct? A little bit here and there when I was kind of, for a while I worked both at the bookstore and at Jenkins and kind of doing, like you said, the grind. What I think a lot of people do even today is trying to pick up jobs here and there where you can. So I did some editing on some books. I helped Another person I know who their full-time job was editing textbooks and would help with some of those subsections of those. Yeah. Um, so never – you won't open a book and see edited by Amy Shamro on anything. But I, I did some of that work. And then the articles I've written have mostly been – or the writing I've done has mostly been articles. Right. So it's kind of one of those things where just in recent years I was talking to somebody, a friend of mine who actually has testified in court as an expert witness – and we were talking about something and she's like, well, you're an expert. I said, I am not an expert. She said, you would qualify to be like brought up in court as an expert witness. Wow. A couple of things I learned about that is the threshold for that isn't as high as you'd think. It's but not. also, 
but also it is it is enough that I was like, oh yeah. And I think a lot of people struggle with that in any industry or anything that they right. do. We all kind of go along and move along in our career. And again, like head down, working, focusing. And all of a sudden you're kind of like, oh, yeah, I, I guess I do know a lot about this. Right? Yeah. I have done a lot with the sure. working with authors or marketing and with books and things like that. And so, yeah, it's just been an evolution. Right. And what do you want out of the podcast? You know, this is the early stages. Is it a good way to talk about the Jenkins Group, it's a good way to obviously celebrate authors and, and their work. And that's what you're doing. What what do you hope for it? Well, I really hope that we award, I did the number, it's really high and surprising. And I can't remember what it is now, though. But we award hundreds of authors a year. So the nice thing about it is between even people who are awarding, just like I said, had a cycle where we announced some. We're constantly awarding. And then there's always people who have won before. And we mm. don't want it. We're not limiting it just to people who have only just now one. We're opening it to anybody who has. And so the conversations, I'm looking, for, there's just endless conversations we can have. And that's very exciting, that prospect. I do hope that one of the things people will recognize is in a way, you're taking a gamble on yourself when you enter the awards. You know, the IPI awards in particular get literally thousands of submissions. But I'm hoping that by hearing the stories of these authors, that other authors will listen and say, okay, like they're kind of in the situation I'm in and maybe I'll take a chance on myself and enter our, our entry fees, depending on the time of year, you enter a range from 75 to $95. So for under $100, yeah. potentially, are you willing to take that risk on yourself that your book stands with and really good ones? And that's what it's ones? about, right? I yeah. mean, when it, it, there's a lot of people involved in this, but it is the author. They need to make the choice to write. Even if you collaborated, it's yeah. your grind. You pushed, it's your pursuit. You yeah. made it happen. And the awards, for, again, just listening to the podcast, hearing, because one of the guests was recorded from New York, mm -hmm. you know, so this is all over, international, as you said, but I could hear in her voice that she was really thrilled to have been seen. I, I think she yeah. used the word, it helped me feel seen Yeah, as an author, which it, has to be great for even a burgeoning author or somebody who's been doing it for a while. It is. And it's amazing. And so we've talked a lot about the Ippies, you know, gotten a little bit more into the criteria of that independently published by the name. In that case, that includes university presses. It can include, you know, like there's a company called $2 Radio that I love and they enter periodically and they do kind of, I guess it'd be the literary equivalent of indie music, right? Like they sure, do these yeah. cool, unique things. And so the, not only That's are we giving cool. them a voice, but we're giving the people who might win with them that just did their book on a win, not on a win, but they're a one-off that's done a book all by themselves and they'll win with them. And our other awards are open up to all the awards and some people will win to get in the same category that a book by HarperCollins wins in. Sure. So there's that opportunity. Do you have to be the author to submit for the award? Great question. And no, you don't. So we have publishers who will enter their authors. We have authors who are published by a, what a what publisher. About a, a fan who knows of an independent author read their book and was like, this is a really good story. We, we had one person do that one time. So yeah. You might get it, two. You're just, hey, great. I'd love to hear that. Because that's- <laughs> When uh, our deadlines do? Yeah. So yeah, it'd be deadlines the end of February, but we've got other ones throughout the year too. And so- I love to hear that. We've had that happen one time before, and it was somebody who's, it was their very good friend. They said, they don't have the confidence to do this. I want to do this for them. And going to that, back to that key component. And so I think that there's, 
I actually, because Ippy, we opened up to audiobooks two or three years ago, I just had an email this week from somebody who said, hey, I narrated this book, and I think it's really great, and we did a good job on the production. Can I submit this book? And I said, yeah, absolutely, especially because the narration is part of the team in that product. Right. So I think there's just a lot of ways that a lot of ways that people can be honored. We also have a couple of awards, the Illumination Christian Book and Living Now Awards that have four or five categories open to books published since 2000. So a lot of ours we try to award. It's the 2023 Ippy Awards coming up. So we want books that were published between 2021 and like early 2023 right. just to make sure we're getting current things. But we also wanted to create a couple of categories in some of these smaller awards where we have the room to do it where a book that maybe – somebody published a few years ago that they're still kind of working on and feel like didn't get quite the attention it deserved Mm -hmm. has another opportunity to get some recognition because maybe they didn't know about the award or maybe they've edited it a little since then and want some change or a friend knows that they published it three years ago right before COVID and didn't get the shot they thought and maybe they should give it a whirl this time and, and give it a shot that way. That's wonderful to just give somebody that affirmation to keep going. Absolutely. Which is what art is about. So I'm going to ask you the questions I've been dying to ask you, and they're book-related questions. Great. <laughs> so when I first met my wife, she had several copies of a book in her car that in case she met somebody that would benefit from that book, she could give it to him. Did you or do you ever have a book similar to that? Actually, I do. And to your point that we were talking about earlier about bookshelves, I think half my decor in my home is just books and bookshelves. But I have one in particular that's in my living room. I have an open concept living room dining room area. And so when I have parties, if we start talking about things, if it's one of those books, I usually have extra copies of my, some of my favorite books around that I'll pick up at used bookstores and stuff. And I'll just run over to the case and like pull and be like, here, you just have to take this home with you. And so it changes from time to time, but pretty consistently, American Gods by Neil Gaiman is one of mine. <laughs> just, I, I, I like that it. you have a yeah. uh, great I, I reaction. I got that. Neverwhere way early. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, big fan. That's awesome. Yeah, and so American Gods. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> That's a good one. To, I should know these more. It's a hefty book, head. too, yeah. to give to somebody for a... Well, I, th- I think check it's... Check this one out. Yeah, I th- it's, it's a bigger book, but it's really accessible, and that's what I like about it. Oh, yeah, it. yeah. Then another one is The Master and Margarita, which is by Bulgakov, and I read that in Russian Lit during college, and it's great. It's a certain... Everything, like I was talking about hand-selling books, everything has a certain type of reader. I wouldn't give this to somebody who says, but I read a lot of nonfiction and da-da-da, but if somebody really likes kind of interesting out-there narratives, it's an allegory that was written and published during the Soviet period in Russia. Right, right. And so it's a it's a major allegory about like the Stalinism moving in at the time and but it's very fantastical. So there's a black cat named Bohemoth who like goes around and talks to people and and is like a representative of the devil. And like so there's all these kind yeah. of uh, literary allusions. And so people who are really you know that I would give to somebody who says, talks about how they've read all the classics and really loves like a challenging story. So and, they've got Tolstoy and Dostoevsky yeah. under belt this is a third. Yeah, and for some people, I'd even recommend them before those two. Yeah, oh, yeah. So yeah. I had a Russian professor who said, you can love, love Tolstoy or Dostoevsky, but you can't love them both. <laughs> and so, <laughs> Now, uh, this may be a controversial question to ask you, but I want to ask it. And maybe uh, as a book lover, I ask any book lover this. Mm-hmm. Your opinion, and it's your opinion, mm-hmm. the most overrated book of all time and the most underrated book of all time. Well, kind of going to, I think John Waters had something about this, or maybe it was somebody else, but the kind of like... It was somebody else, sorry, but somebody said, if you see somebody with infinite jest on their bookshelf, you guarantee they've never read it. And so I haven't, I'll admit, I haven't read it. So in some ways, I feel like it's overrated because everybody talks about how it's this pinnacle book. Yeah. But then I've never had anybody talk in detail about, I shouldn't say it, very few people talk in detail about the story. 
And that's probably mean because I think there are far more overrated books out there. And I think sometimes, especially in this way that books cycle right now, yeah. I feel like books are already sold for a movie before they're published. And if you're getting that major yeah. money from the marketing department at your publishing right. house, they have a lot to lose if it doesn't succeed. Sure. And so I think some of the, like, the best sellers of the last few years, I found a lot of them to be overrated. Really fascinating. Yeah, or at least to the hype. And I think that's always something you have to be careful of, we too. Put yeah. mu- we put too much into this, you're going to eat it. Yeah, exactly. We cooked it, you're eating it. <laughs> that's right. And Clean you Play ta- Club, You talk about favorites, but what's the most underrated book? Ooh, well, I would say Master and Margarita is definitely right. underrated. That's why I like to kind of preach it, if you will. Um it's so hard to say. There's so many books. And I think everybody, what I will say, and I, without it's sidestepping the question, but again, like saying that would almost imply that I've read every book that's out there. But I right. think people have their favorite genres. And so I think one thing I've always tried to do, and I think judging the awards allows me to do too, because I'm reading different genres for those, is really like find value in every genre. And so I think I'll say I think it's uh, vilified versus underrated is romance novels. I think they're the most consumed genre of books by sales. There's people out there doing all kinds of things with them. You can read treatises on it of how I think they get the rap of like maybe when our moms read them and they were, quote, bodice rippers. Um, Bodice rippers. Yeah, because it's always historical, right? I don't know what that means. Oh, so it's a term for historical romances of the women are, it's from back in the past and women are wearing- hot, you rip your bodice right off. No, the the characters will rip their bodices off as part of it. So, but I think that there was kind of some tones and themes maybe back in the day that maybe like more modern, I won't say modern, it's a pretty modern genre, but more recent readers might find, you know, there there was a lot of the old tropes of- kind of he'll force himself a kiss and now I'm in love with him kind of thing. And yeah. and what I think if you look at it is now that I think is really interesting about looking at romance now is it's very feminist now in a lot of cases. Sure. There's a lot, that kind of stuff goes away. It's very much about women's perspective of romance instead of women embracing how males have put romance forward. And I'm, it's not, I don't read one genre solely, but I have read romances. And I think some people, when you say that are very dismissive of that as a genre, whether it's, anybody reading it or that might be all somebody consumes but i think every genre has its place and i think some people a fantasy novel that puts you in a totally different world yeah and and removes all the modern stresses that's what they need for some people that's a romance novel and whether it's a modern romance or historical i think that that offers the same thing that some other genre writing provides so in movie terms ryan because I, i'll translate it yes. for you <laughs> Uh, she would support the Fast and Furious. Oh, my God. Oh. And we know. I okay. love the Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> oh, <my>. Sorry. <laughs> well, we are about to spin off a totally different podcast. The Have two of us. when you talk about 10. Um, yeah, it's going to be called Family. Right. Uh, and yes. Amy and I are going to do it. Yes. Ryan uh, would not stop until I watched all of those movies. Oh, like, God, I love them. I know they're not for everybody. I love, hate them. Let me say and, that. And, yep, and as soon as I started, I was like, oh, this is so stupid. But he's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wonderfully stupid. Well, there are different ways that you can be supported and get more information. Uh, a couple of websites, uh, JenkinsGroupInc.com, correct? Yes. And that is a good way to, what's the best use of that website? So JenkinsGroupInc.com is kind of the home of all of Jenkins Group. Mm-hmm. It's especially good if you've ever had interest in doing a book project and maybe want it to be a little bit more specialized. There's some information there to get you started down the right path. If you have a book. There's some good information there to get you connected with some marketing options at different levels that maybe aren't even what you've thought of. goes well beyond just sending out a press release. And then there are some links to our awards from there. And certainly that would allow you to explore the different awards that we have. As I said, kind of independent publisher is the mother of them all. 
And then off that, we have these kind of more genre, but still pretty large awards that people can find opportunities for any type of book. Yeah. And the Ippy Awards, ippyawards.com. Yep. Correct. And yes. if you're a past winner, you can order merchandise. Yeah. And it's a really fun website. And and also, uh, I would say for listeners, maybe find some good books that you never would have discovered. Oh, yeah. Because they are independent. And the Behind the Cover podcast, where's the best way to, I know how I listen to it, but where's the best way, where do you want it heard? So we are on Spotify, we are on Google Podcasts, and we are on Apple Podcasts. Awesome. So you can find us on all those. And if you have any, want to see any more information, we also have the very elegant title of our website, (laughs) BehindTheCoverPodcast.com. I think it doesn't get any better than that as a title for that podcast. It's wonderful to listen to. So I recommend you listen to them. And is a new episode coming out pretty soon? Yeah, actually, we're due to have a new episode come out next week. Uh, so by awesome. this time, you'll have a couple new episodes. We're, right now we're doing every two weeks. So don't be alarmed if you subscribe and then don't see it for a little bit. It's just the pace we're at while we're doing all these other things. Who knows? Maybe one one day we'll up it to once a week. We certainly have the people to talk to. Yeah. And again, it's really compelling to hear these authors and already the books that... Uh, I've listened to I'm Interested In, so uh, thank you for sharing those with me. Personally. Well, thank you, and thank you for your kind words. It's our pleasure. Well, Amy, thank you so much for your pursuits, and to all of those who pursue along with you sharing and celebrating the works of amazing authors and for doing this wonderful podcast behind the cover. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. And to our listeners, everybody, thank you for listening, and thank you for pursuing the positive. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us one more time on the Pursuit of Podcast. The Pursuit of Behind the Cover, a Jenkins Group podcast. We want to thank our friend Amy Shamro for coming in. For more information, go to BehindTheCoverPodcast.com and share this with the author in your life. Links to Behind the Cover will be in the show notes. And as always, for all things audio, video, podcast, production related, go to newleonard.com.